it worked. It worked. <laughs> All right, let's go. This is CNT Talk. Every week, two friends debate the issues of the ages as we agree to disagree. It's never politically correct, but it's always entertaining. Join us tonight so you can sound knowledgeable at work tomorrow. We're smacking you upside the head with a hammer of truth. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. I want to I want to reach out to we got some comments about some technology issues our last episode. I think What do you mean because I was doing it through my cell phone? Yes, yes, because we got we got a lot of different comments and I I recognize those we've upgraded the studio on Tony's end so hopefully <laughs> we will both sound like we're together even though we are separate. It's a shoestring budget, but we try to make it work the best we can. So bear with us. Um, but it looks like uh, things are working correctly. And tonight you are the sociable presenter. I think I've been that before, haven't I? I don't remember all the ones you've been. but I'm I think- always sociable. <laughs> You're always sociable. Let's hope that continues tonight. Uh, I don't know if you've looked at a calendar recently, but we are 10 days away from conceivably the most important election of our lifetimes. Uh, That's debatable as to whether or not you feel that way. But we're 10 days out from an election that we're told, uh, and I just read this tonight, and maybe you don't remember this from four years ago. I didn't. Four years ago today, or this weekend, Hillary Clinton had a 12-point lead, according to the polls, over Donald Trump. Obviously, that didn't hold. (laughs) So that wasn't uh, appropriate. Whether or not this time will be the same, we'll have to wait and see. What are your thoughts? Do you, you think we're in a similar situation to four years ago? Is it totally different? Well, my thoughts, and I've said this before, I don't. we're not going to have a president on November 3rd unless Joe Biden uh, wins in a landslide or even actually wins closely and they'll declare him the president as of 12 a.m. No more counting. We don't need to. He's won. But if Donald Trump is ahead, and I expect this to be a repeat of 2016, in that I see no reason to think that the dynamic that the polls continue to oversample for Joe Biden, we've talked about the methodology, we've talked about the uselessness of polling registered voters. It's also useless, really, to focus on national polls because there's basically six states that will decide this election, six or seven. We're in one uh, of them. <laughs> We're, we we may be in the one that is the most contested post-election, depending on how this shakes out. So I think that, well, let's put it this way. As of election night, I think we are going to see exactly what we saw last time, which is Joe Biden running up the uh, the national collective vote total, right? The popular vote. We win, even though those aren't the rules, but we still won. And <laughs> Donald Trump is going to be ahead in the Electoral College because I think Trump is going to win basically the same states he won last time. He's going to win Florida. I think he's going to win North Carolina. I think he's going to win Pennsylvania and Ohio. And I think he's going to win some combination of Michigan, Wisconsin, and Minnesota. Wow. Some combination. He's not going to win all three of those. I don't think he's going to win Minnesota, but I think he's going to win Wisconsin and likely Michigan. So I don't, I don't know if I agree with Michigan. Um, I think Whitmer has done a disastrous job as governor, but for some reason, I, I that's actually the reason I think he's going to win Michigan because she has become so detested within that state for her heavy handed tyranny. Uh, that's pretty much the right word in terms of 
the her COVID mandates that have gone well beyond. And of course, she was smacked down by uh, the state, their state Supreme Court, and still sort of insisted that she was going to try to do this. So I think the Whitmer factor has angered a lot of people in Michigan. So I, I heard of two different things this week. Uh, one was Donald Trump's polling. His favorability rating is higher now than it was when he was elected in 2016 by about five, five and a half points. Does that have any impact you think in the election or is that just, they can vote for Biden, but still favor that he's doing a good job or more people favor. Yeah, I think the polls are completely, you know, they're they're inscrutable in a lot of ways because all of the polls that say that Biden is way ahead, when they also ask the same people the question, who do you think your neighbors are voting for? Trump wins that by, uh, it's it's over 10 points, right? Yeah. So it's sort of this bizarre idea where it's sort of like, well, everyone I think that I know is going to vote, they're going to vote for Trump, but I think, you know, I'm voting for Biden. Like, okay, that's a little strange. There, there's just a lot of, internal inconsistencies in that polling. And I continue to believe, and maybe we'll be proven wrong. Maybe the polls are on the up and up and Biden's going to, he'll, he'll easily win this by, you know, a hundred electoral votes. The same people that wouldn't tell pollsters they were voting for Trump in 2016, who were, were clearly not picked up, certainly in the state polls. There's more of them. I'm convinced there are more of them because the environment has become so radical in terms of you say that you're a Trump voter, you wear a MAGA hat in the wrong place, you're going to be doxxed, you're going to be attacked, there, people are going to try to fire you from, I mean, that's not an exaggeration. If you're living in certain areas and you come out as a Trump voter, you are in big trouble. So yeah. the environment is even more toxic in that regard this time around. People understand that. They ain't going to be running around telling people I'm a Trump voter, but they may show up and vote for him. I think that is certainly possible. Here's my concern. There, there's reports that 50 million people have already voted yep. across the country. Uh, if we use, that could be a third of all voters have already voted. Uh, that's concerning to me. And I don't think we had that, those large numbers four years ago uh, of anywhere. So those aren't necessarily absentee ballots, obviously. These are mail-in ballots. Um, ironically, Trump did his mail-in ballot yesterday. <laughs> uh, I, I, my, that concerns me. And I saw another report tonight that there's a number of states where people are asking if they can change their vote, which would mean to me that they probably voted for Biden originally, and now they want to change their vote to Trump, whether or not that's true or not. Only three states allow it, and they happen to be swing states, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Michigan. So we'll see if that makes a difference. If we touch on the debate, now, I don't watch debates as a rule. I don't think you do either. I, I, I make myself informed by watching the relevant clips afterwards, but I really can't stand watching them in real time. I think they're, in many ways, they're pointless. Um, it just drives, the whole thing, the process drives me crazy. I, I agree with that. And I, what I want to say is the, the ratings were down from the first one, and they always are. As they progress, they get less and less people watching because they feel like they've made up their mind. I, from what everything I can read and gather from the clips I've watched, it looks like Trump did a much better job. I think the mute button kind of kept him in check a little bit more than he had in the first debate. I don't know if it mattered because, again, we've talked about this before. I don't know how many undecideds truly exist out there. And I, I listened to Ben Shapiro, and he was saying, 
it didn't change anybody's mind and the polls reflected that, but it basically said, if I wanted to vote for Trump, now I feel like it might be okay to vote for Trump based on his performance uh, Tuesday night. Do you agree with that? You know, I don't know. I don't, I, I agree to the extent that I don't know that it made all that much of a difference. I would have much preferred if that Donald Trump had showed up at the first debate instead right. of Captain Interruption. Um, and I, I'm not sure whether the the moderator's ability to mute him, which I just think was ridiculous, uh, changed it. I think people probably told him behind the scenes, even though he's not very good at listening to people, that look, you didn't do yourself any favors with your with your behavior. And in fact, it's not even that you look like a bully, it's that we want Joe Biden to talk. Yeah. Let Joe Biden talk. Let him finish. Let him make whatever absurd point that he's making. And then you aggressively in your own style, make your points. The, the whole crosstalk food fight that they had going on didn't benefit Trump because half of what he was saying got lost just in talking over each other. And he was the instigator of that for the most part. And I agree with all that. I, I think he seemed rational and lucid and he made some nice points and Biden was Biden. You let him talk. He, Sounded like a fool. Well, and not only was Biden Biden, but this needs to be emphasized. And and one of the things we might be able to talk about later have have you seen um, John Piper, who is a, a pastor and a theologian I greatly admire, um, a brilliant man. He wrote a, a fairly lengthy piece explaining his rationale for the upcoming election. Maybe we can talk about it. But one of the things that uh, we'll, we'll segue into that. But one of the things I wanted to point out is yet again, Joe Biden issued forth. Lie after lie after lie after lie. Demonstrable, on video, we have transcripts. And the thing that is just so maddening to me is, and the reason I referred to Piper is because basically what his what his um, piece said was he was weighing essentially the, on the one hand, Christians who say, well, abortion is a big deal. I can't vote for the Democratic Party because that's huge. And then the, the main point he made, though, was, well, it's just as important relating to personal character of the president. And so what essentially he was doing is he was saying, I don't understand why anyone who's a Christian thinks that somehow policy, meaning abortion and other things, is more important than the character of the person who's leading our nation. And he he cited many, many verses from the New Testament talking about how when a leader, leader is corrupt, that is essentially sort of an infectious taint on the culture. And his so his point was basically, I will vote for neither. That's what I took from his piece. Yeah, I agree. My, my problem with that analysis, and it ref, it's reflected in the debate, it's reflected in the the selective parsing of our friend and many others is I do not accept that Joe Biden is somehow a person of character. So in other words, they're setting up this contrast by saying, well, on the one hand, you have the wickedly heinous, evil destroyer of worlds, misogynist, racist, et cetera, Donald Trump. And then on the other hand, you have moderate Joe, but the democratic party has some bad policies. And I want to say, hold up who, who in their right mind, if they have studied this man, Joe Biden's political career, is going to say that this is a person of character because he's a slime bag. He is a first class slime bag and he is a serial liar. And he did that again in the debate. And yet somehow we're just supposed to pretend, no, 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 he's fine. He's 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 just good old Joe from Scranton, man of man of integrity. No, he's not. 
I think we can, and I read the same piece and I read who posted it and who talked about it and said, well, you know, there's, there's another evangelical against Trump. Uh, and I, I kind of get weary of this because you make the point that nobody else on that side seems to ever grasp. Hillary Clinton was a failed, horrible candidate. Whether you think she was a good human being or not, I don't think she's. No, but a good she's human. not. But here's the thing: it is not reasonable to think that she's a good human being. Okay, this and, and this is what this is what bothers me is this received wisdom that somehow we don't even scrutinize these people. Hillary Clinton is a monumentally corrupt, ruthlessly corrupt, will to power human being. And we could go through chapter and verse and from have. her her yeah. career in Arkansas to the Clinton Foundation to the email everything about her. And so again, this pretend world we're supposed to live in where we're just supposed to say, well, on the one hand, we have the Democratic Party and their kind of radical policies, which we don't like. But on the other hand, we have, you know, servant of Satan, Donald Trump. It's like, wait a minute. You don't have to like Donald Trump. I'm not here to argue that he's a man of good character. But what I am going to say is I am not accepting the notion that Joe Biden <laughs> has any level of character that anyone should emulate. And we could, I mean, we could spend two hours talking about all of his lies and, and what's going on with these, you know, these emails from Hunter Biden that the media we'll is just that. completely suppressing. Yeah. We'll get to that in a second because I, I want to bring up a different article. So you, you, you bring me to the question. So Ben Shapiro, again, Ben Shapiro, listen to some of his stuff. He put out a video last week and talked about the three reasons in 2016, he did not vote for Donald Trump and why in 2020 he plans to vote for Donald Trump. Uh, the first one was, he didn't think in 2016 that Trump was a conservative or at least had conservative principles. I agree with that. That's one of the reasons that I didn't vote for him. Okay. I think, and, and Shapiro says this since the last four years, he's been much more conservative than you might've believed he would be based on previous history. Not as conservative as I would like, probably not as conservative as you would like, certainly not as conservative as Ben Shapiro would like, but much more conservative than you would have expected based on everything going in. So that's the one reason he says Trump's. How do I put this? Trump's uh, badness, his idiosyncrasies, his boorishness, his poor behavior, whatever it is, it's already there now. So if you didn't vote for him in 2016, you had a reason. It's already there. It's not going away. And not voting for him this time isn't going to make it go back to what it what you think it was in 2020. To quote our friend, we weren't founded as a Christian nation. And politics in this country were not at a homogenous, easygoing process in 2016, as evidenced by the 2016 election and now the 2020 election. Donald Trump did not create the problem. He's just a part of the problem, in my opinion. I don't know if you agree with that, but it's already baked in. He, he's equally bad every day. If you think he's bad, he's bad every day. He's the same bad. He's not getting worse. It doesn't go lower. This is it. Agree or disagree? Yeah, he, he is what he is. Okay. Uh, it, for many of these people, I think it's a question of manners more than anything else. Right. Um, now, you know, again, we can talk about some of his policies that they don't like, but really what it is, is this visceral reaction to how he talks and how he behaves, how he conducts himself. And it's fi fair enough. Um, I don't expect people to like that. I don't, I don't like it, but to your point, we know this now. Right. And, and what we just keep hearing from the same crew, the usual suspects are now just these general generalities 
he's a racist. He's a, and, and there's never, it's almost like they don't even need to substantiate any of this anymore, but you know what you kind of do, because if you, if you actually press into this, when the, what it's always the same thing, it's literally, uh, like a highlight reel of about five or six different things that they've been regurgitating. And some of those things, for instance, the, the racism charge in particular is based on the whole Charlottesville lie that they have now created into, uh, essentially an accepted truth that Donald Trump said that white supremacists and the KKK are fine people. He never said that. He actually explicitly uh, denounced those people in the very same interview that they cite. And yet somehow, people like our friend and many other Christians, this is their go-to comment when they say, well, Donald Trump's clearly a racist. Why? Because of Charlottesville. But Charlottesville is a, is a media-manufactured lie. Mm-hmm. So what else you got? What else you got on the racism front? And and basically, as far as I've read, nothing. What do they have? They have nothing else, and they just keep regurgitating the same things. It was the Proud Boys reference at the first debate? The point being, this is him. And if you have this delusion that by electing Biden, you're going to get back to civil politics, that's foolish. That's naive and foolish, and it's not going to change because you think it will because Biden's going to do something. And his third point. And I think this is valid based on everything we've talked about. Democrats have lost their mind. Correct. They they have gone over the deep end, trying to kowtow to the far fringes of their party. And I mean, today or last couple of days, I've been hearing Bernie Sanders might be the uh, secretary of labor. Can you imagine Bernie Sanders as a secretary of anything, let alone labor? Yeah. What do you mean? That's his wheelhouse. I mean, if we're going to become Venezuela, you got to put Bernie as the secretary of labor. We'll put AOC as the secretary of energy. Um, (laughs) I mean, let's just put all the cranks. Let's put uh, Ilhan Omar as the uh, secretary of Israel outreach. Uh, I mean, secretary of state, Ilhan Omar. There you go. Perfect. (laughs) So when you, when you put into context, what, what return, see, I, I think it's hilarious to me that it's return to normalcy. That's what we keep hearing. Elect Biden, you get back to this nice thing. I think he plays up the doddering old fool. I think he is a doddering old fool, but I think it's played up considerably. Like, how could this guy be bad? Look at him. He's just a kind old grandfather who's had a lot of sexual assault charges or uh, accusations leveled against him, as does Donald Trump. Uh, he Yes, but let, let's stop for a minute, as does Donald Trump. But which one of them has been savaged about that repeatedly, endlessly, incessantly? And which one of those people have had credible charges just buried? Does anyone remember what's her name? Tara Reid? Yeah. Well, have we have we heard that name nope. in the last three months? I, I have only because she did a 60 minutes interview in Australia. That's the only time I've heard. Right. Since and, and she came forward with when I say credible, I actually mean credible and not. Well, credible just means that I believe this person because her charges were when she was employed by Joe Biden. And we know that she told other people contemporaneously what happened to her. That lends credibility. doesn't mean that she's telling the truth, but it's certainly far better than Dr. Blasey Ford and all the other stuff that's floating out there. And yet this woman has disappeared off the radar screen. You, You couldn't find her with a search party. That's why she's doing 60 Minutes in Australia. Right. So that's the point is that we have two people that have significant allegations about their behavior towards women, but only one of those people is scrutinized with a microscope and the other, it just doesn't get brought up. Well, 
if if you go back to the memory hole about a year ago, wasn't it Kamala Harris who said, I believe Tara Reid in relation to Joe Biden? Sure. That be the vice president. That's, no, that's no longer, that's what we call no longer operative. Yes, it either it was a lie then or it's a lie now, but one one has to be the lie. So in my opinion, Ben's spot on here. What you might not have approved of in 2016 is a conservative, you have a better understanding, maybe what we're looking at here. And I want to stress this. It's a binary choice. I said this before. It is a binary choice, period. There is no third option. There's not going to be a third option, a viable third option. You can vote for whoever you want. You can write in somebody's name if you feel like it, but it's not going to change that one of these two people is going to be elected president at some point, whether it's November 3rd or December 19th. Somebody's going to be elected president. So saying I'm not going to vote for either one of these, a la John Piper, that's your opinion. That's your choice. Okay. But telling me if I'm going to vote for president, I have one of these two options. And I do not see with all of Donald Trump's issues, and there are many, I do not see how Biden is a better solution. And that's the part you and I've talked about this about our friend. He cannot seem to grasp that you you've not given me a reason to vote for your candidate. You continually bash the other guy, but never give me a reason why the one you want isn't one I should well, because he's just not he's not the other guy right but the problem that I have is that all of the standards by which the other guy is being evaluated don't apply to Joe Biden at all and, and in fact there's no analysis of anything that Joe Biden does or says it's it's literally everything is memory hold when I talked about the debate and I said, oh, he was lying. Well, okay, that's a generality. What was he lying about? Well, let's just start going down the list just very quickly so people know that I'm not just kind of you know doing the same thing that they do. Oh, he lies. Well, first of all, he continues to say that he never stated he wanted to ban fracking. That's a flat-out lie. He has said that on the record at least three or four different times. You can look it up. He's on video saying that. He's in interviews saying that. In fact, he's flip-flopped on it. It's basically Joe Biden says whatever the audience in front of him wants him to say. And then the next day he pretends he didn't say it for the new audience that he wants to change. So that's an outright lie. Of course, he's never called on it. Now you would think if you're one of the, you would think if, if these people were not partisan hacks, which all of these moderators are, but if you were preparing for a debate and for instance, you knew one of the issues is going to be, oh, I don't know, energy, fracking, and yep. you know you're going to ask one of the candidates about the statement that you have written down that he's already said. You're going to have an immediate follow-up when that person lies and says, I never said that by pointing out, well, sir, didn't you back on such and such date? No, that, that never happens. It happens to Donald Trump, never happens to Joe Biden. Because the immediate follow-up should have been, Mr. Vice President, you just told the American people that you never said you were going to ban fracking. However, I'm going to read to you what you said two months ago on whatever, NPR. I mean, that's that's preparation 101 for anyone that's interested in actually holding people account to objective truth, but they're not interested in that. Okay, so that's the first one. What about when he made the incredible claim that nobody lost their health insurance because of Obamacare? Did you catch that one? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was great. Okay. I believe at the last check, there were somewhere between four to six million people who got thrown off their existing plans. And in fact, PolitiFact, okay, not a conservative organization, PolitiFact called Obama's statement, if you want to keep your doctor, you can keep your doctor, the lie of the year. 
for 2013. Remember, people, that was the administration in which Joe Biden was the vice president and one of the architects of the big you-know-what deal that they rammed down everyone's throat. And so for him to say in a debate, no one lost their health insurance is such a brazen, outrageous lie. And yet, any any pushback from the good old moderator? No. Like, sir, um, actually, millions of Americans did. Now, an honest thing to say would be, you know what, there were some people that's unfortunate, but the greater good, et cetera, we did it for the children, whatever. But he knows he's going to get away with saying things like this. And so this went on all night, this kind of nonsense. So I'm saying the irony on that one is the biggest lie of 2013, Joe Biden in 2020 plagiarized the biggest lie of 2013. He can't get right. away from plagiarism of the it's not even the truth. He he plagiarized a lie. And he knew it was a lie. His handlers knew it was a lie. The lady asking the questions knew it was a lie. And to your point, nobody called him on it because they're they're not being honest. Now you can say this this moderator did a better job than Chris. No, she Wallace. didn't. Better than Chris Wallace. I don't actually think she did. I think they're all they're all horrifically bad well, because they're all bad at this job because they're all in the tank for their guy. Period. Right. Right. All in the tank for their guys. So Savannah Guthrie did. A horrible. She was the worst. She was she the worst. Was Wallace was second worst. This lady was third worst. But you're now parsing yeah. levels of uh, horrendousness. We'll go over some more lies. He he, he told some whoppers. Well, I'm trying. I'm trying to think. What was the other one that he said? Didn't he? Well, of course. Now I can't remember whether he actually. I think he said this at the debate. So, and we'll talk more about this. I think later. So, on the whole Hunter Biden issue. Okay, all of these emails. He claims and has repeatedly claimed. This was even before the debate. I was not involved at all in any of Hunter's business interests. I've never that, had, never discussed them. Never discussed them. Didn't know about it. Again, that is he's staring in your face and he's lying through his teeth. And we know that because we have emails now and text messages. And in fact, testimony from one of Hunter's business partners that Joe Biden had his fingers all over this and was approving the kickbacks that he was getting and was meeting with executives from Burisma and from China to figure out how the money was going to be peddled. Again, any competent, non-corrupt journalist would have showed up for that debate and the minute that Joe Biden said, I had no idea, would have thrown each piece of evidence in his face. How do you explain this email? How do you explain the fact that you clearly, at least according to, do you deny the emails exist? Do you deny the, none of that? Because they're, of course, burying all of this. They can't have Joe answering questions about this stuff two weeks from an election. So you brought that up, and that was probably one of the three of the biggest lies that uh, Joe told. Uh, our friend, who again, I want to make make this very clear, he doesn't want to hear about what aboutism. Okay, he he he's a big fan of don't compare one to another. Don't give me the what aboutism. He put out a post today said the right wing media smears don't make sense, and that's okay. You're not supposed to understand them regarding the Hunter Biden emails. Okay. And he go he links to an article from the Atlantic from Ann from Apple. the Atlantic excellent I, you know, it's a it's a hugely conservative group uh, and it basically documents all the bad things about Trump's family and he said you shouldn't need to worry about this because you know it's not really about Biden it's a, it's a smear campaign isn't that what aboutism isn't it exactly what he says he doesn't want to talk about and doesn't want to deal with because he just did it <clears throat> well the other thing it's 
it's what aboutism that has already been they've spent the last four years putting them under a subatomic microscope. So, and that's fine. I go ahead, go ahead and investigate every every family venture, every overseas partnership, which again, they have they have tasked every person from the New York Times and the Washington Post. They've got legions of these people scouring the earth to find any shred of dirt on Donald Trump. And yet we have these people now saying literally with no basis, just throwing it out there because they know they can lie with impunity. Oh, it's all Russian disinformation. All the stuff about, uh, yeah. so the, the very people that, now, now follow this, the very people that used what we now know to be Russian disinformation to try to, in other words, the subsource for the Steele dossier, at the time, the FBI knew this guy was essentially someone who was working for Russia. We, we have this documented now. Get, did you read any of this? No. But we actually have the primary source emails and memos that relate to this. So the very people that relied on peddling Russian disinformation and propaganda for three and a half years to overturn this election are now turning around with no basis whatsoever and claiming that emails that were on a laptop that Hunter Biden turned into a computer store in wherever, where was it? It was in Delaware. Oh, this is all Russian disinformation. And you know what? Here's the thing. And after they say that, has anyone from the media said, oh, what evidence do you have that it's Russian disinformation? Because they don't have any. What? Oh, what facts? Who are you relying on that said that? Well, no, so you, all, all you have to do is just say it. Yeah, Biden cites 50 intelligence services who say it's not it's Russian disinformation. No, but actually real. that's a lie because they never said well, that. Right, none of them have said that. You can't find one source that has said that. Uh, you've actually find sources say it's not Russian dis disinformation. Leslie Stahl defended not covering the Hunter Biden laptop because she said it's not real, it's not verified. To which I would say, Liar, 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 pants on fire to 60 minutes because they will run anything that makes Trump look bad or the a Republican look bad without a shred of evidence. And they sit there. Wasn't wasn't CBS the Dan Rather network? Oh, sure. The that fake, the fake, uh, fake, but accurate Bush memos. Exactly. So I'm supposed to believe that you will run anything that, you know, isn't right without evidence, but you won't run something that's been corroborated. Well, let's put it this way. Hasn't been denied by anybody. Well, that's the fascinating thing is that, which I actually made a comment to a friend of mine, you know, it's inter it's almost like an interesting psychological study. I don't know why they don't go full, full bore and, and they should have just denied it. In other words, they know they're lying already. It's fascinating to me that they're unwilling to take the step of saying the emails are fake. They're false. The computer was, you know, manufactured in a Kremlin lab or whatever. Right. Why don't you? You're lying about everything else, but see that they, they even in the back of their mind realize, well, they are, they are real, but we're just not going to address that. We're just going to talk about Russian disinformation and we're going to rely on Twitter and Facebook and Google to literally suppress the information. And then all of our, you know, bootlickers in the press to just not report it. I mean, our media, our media, Chad, and you cannot overstate this. They have become so corrupt and so partisan and just brazen propagandists. Uh, I mean, when you have them out there, just think about this. This is supposedly the, the adversarial press. They've got a vice presidential candidate or now presidential candidate who was vice president. There are emails showing 
that he is running an influence peddling racket, okay, through his son as the conduit for China out of the VP office, because that's where you got millions flowing from people who are high level members of the Chinese government or very closely affiliated to the Chinese government. These emails clearly suggest, and the guy that showed up at the uh, debate, Blinsky or whatever his name is, who was Hunter's business partner has stated on the record where it all says the big guy that's Biden. And we know from the emails, he's having face-to-face meetings at the White House with these foreign interests. Now, flip this around. If that was Donald Trump Jr. and we had emails from his laptop that nobody from the Trump campaign was denying their authenticity, that Trump was having secret meetings with people from China and the Ukraine, and there were millions of dollars flowing to Trump Jr., where the big guy was taking a cut of that. They wouldn't stop talking about this. It would be it would be DEFCON one. Rachel Maddow's head would explode. I mean, it's it's incredible. And yet you have now the media saying, you know what? Don't even mention it. Don't even talk about it because it's a smear and we're not even interested. I mean, these people are an absolute disgrace and they are, they have become in conjunction with big tech, the biggest threat to, you know, you want to talk about threats to democracy. That's what these people are. That's what these people really are because there is no ability now to actually, they're acting as a praetorian guard for the candidate they want to win and they will continue to do that. And it's becoming increasingly difficult for someone, unless you're really willing to dig you can't even get accurate information from these people because they just bury it. Yes. So I want to push back just a little bit. I think there's enough here to, to ask a lot of questions of the Biden campaign. I, I've seen enough of the emails. I think there's there's a connection. I don't think it's a legal proof at this point, but I think there's enough there to say we should seriously be looking at the media should be asking these questions. Uh, obviously, Hunter, we've known Hunter has been a scuzzbag for a long time. Uh, do I think he was peddling his father's name? You betcha. Do I think Joe knew about it? Yes, I think completely he knew about it. And I would agree that the big guy is probably most likely Joe Biden. I would like to see more evidence around that, and I'd like to see it investigated. But I think there's enough that you can say, wait a minute. This guy's complaint. He constantly tells you, I'm squeaky clean. No, no, I've never taken anything from anybody, which is fabrication in and of itself. Never taken any money from a foreign government. Yeah, but there's a lot of stuff here. You talk about you could you could indict a ham sandwich. There's enough for an indictment. If you can find the law, it's broken here, especially if it's influence peddling as the VP. That's indictable. I think there's enough for an indictment. Now, whether or not it's enough for conviction, I don't know that yet. But I think that's where you get into discovery. You get into the whole Let's find out what's going on. But I think there's enough here for that well, to happen. And to your point, again, how hard is it to ask the Biden campaign? Uh, did you ever have a meeting with an executive from Burisma at the White House ever? Now, did you remember their their mealy-mouthed um, non-denial denial was, well, we've looked at his calendar. It doesn't appear to be on his calendar. <laughs> That doesn't seem to be responsive to my question. Let me ask it again. Did Joe Biden ever meet with this person? Now they can say no. And of course, if you had an honest media or even a neutral media, there'd be a lot of follow-up because there's ways to confirm that. We have all sorts of ways to 
find well, out. Aren't what there pictures it? of Joe Biden? Yeah. With this guy playing golf with Hunter? Yes. Have you ever had any meetings with interests from China since we have emails about that? Uh, again, well, we've scoured his calendar. That date seems to be ripped out. We can't really tell. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And how about getting Hunter Biden, some intrepid reporter from Dateline, you know, as they like walk up on the people at their home. Sir, we have a question for you about uh, Hunter. Who's the, who's the big guy in yeah. this email? Now, he can say, I don't know. It's uh, it's uh, Santa Claus. I don't know who he's going to say. He's certainly not going to say his dad. But there's and remember he this. Might, he might this, never know. This other guy again. I can't remember his name. Bablinski or something. Uh, he has said on the record that that refers. He was in business with Hunter Biden. That refers to Joe. So you could even ask Hunter and Joe. Hey, Mr. Bablinski, who was Hunter's business partner, has claimed that's you. Is that true? Yeah, Tony Bobolinsky. That's his name. Uh, I, I I agree with all that. So <clears throat> I think there's enough here to say there's a smoking gun. Whether or not there's an actual gun, I don't know, but there's at least the smoke and the fire might follow. Your your contention that a, 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 you've lost respect for the media. <laughs> lost respect. No respect. That's I've way too no charitable. Respect. I have had no respect for the media. I, I, I don't in my lifetime, I haven't respected the media. Now, I've been told that they should be respected, and they, they're trying to do a job. All I've ever seen is partisan hackery from the media. And, and it could go both ways, but of the last 15 to 20 years at least, it's been one way and one way only, and it's always been slanted to protect the Democratic side and against the Republican side in every almost every instance. Well, let me clarify my point. I, I, I agree with you that there has been – fairly obvious bias for pretty much as long as you can remember. But my point is that within basically since Obama was elected and then Trump has accelerated this into the stratosphere, we have never seen the level of mendacity. I mean, in other words, you used to have a lot of people, the media is 95% liberal, but there were still some reporters right. and there's still an honorable few here and there. There were still reporters that even though they, you know, they clearly didn't like Republicans if they had facts in front of them uh, that were, you know, damning to one side or the other, they would still report them. We're right. now at the stage where the media is openly acting as a filter, where they're just preventing the American public from seeing information that's harmful to Democrats, and they're working. In, and the difference now is they're working in conjunction with big tech, Facebook, and Twitter. And again, I understand. Uh, only the government can technically censor you in the legal sense, but nevertheless, we have these massive, these massive entities who essentially control all communication in the country in terms of you know online, digital, and they're just actively saying we're not going to allow people to see that. We don't uh, we don't want the wicked conservatives to gain an advantage, and so we're just going to hide. We're going to prevent you from sharing it. We're going to deplatform you. And the media, you know, leaking things that they know are going to be bad for Trump, hiding things they know that are going to be bad for Biden. It, it, we are at an epidemic level with this, and something is going to have to change because um, it, it's it's Pravda esque, Chad. That's what we're dealing with now. Yes. Well, it, you brought up Twitter and Facebook, and they are private organizations who have a right to say we don't want certain things on our platform, but when they start. I'm I'm tired of hearing from the liberal elite telling us we want an open internet, we want 
free flow of information, except you really don't. You only want certain things to flow. When you start editorializing, and I'm not getting into the technicalities of the law and Rule 230 and the FCC. When you start editorializing, you are now making judgment decisions on what can and cannot be on your platform. Do not tell me Facebook is open. It is not. Do not tell me Twitter is open. When the New York Post, who published that article about Hunter Biden, can't tweet about their own article. Don't tell me that. And then tell me you're a, an open organization who values that doesn't value censorship, wants to everything to be open and free. I'm sorry, you have published any number of things, and again, back to Donald Trump, you've published any number of things or allowed hate and disgust and people threatening to kill. When Trump was sick with COVID, Twitter allowed people to say, I hope he dies, okay? You know what? I'm perfectly fine. I'm perfectly fine with Twitter allowing people to say that. Okay. I'd actually rather know the people that are saying that. But the problem is if you're going to claim on the one hand that you're only a publisher, right? You're just a conduit for the free flow of information. The minute you start putting your thumb on the scale, which they have done to the point where the scale is now broken and the pieces are on the floor, you're not a publisher anymore. And so you're you're going to now be regulated in a way that says, hmm. You're not publishing, you're editorializing. You're an arm of a political party. That's what you are. You're an arm of the Democratic Party. We're not really going to allow an arm of the Democratic Party to control uh, what 200, 300 million people are doing online every day. That's just not something that we're going to permit. Right. And I think that's where I have the issue. If you want to be open, then you're open. That means open for everything. That's what the First Amendment means to me, is that you get to say any number of stupid things that I can disagree with a hundred percent of the time, but you still have the right to say it. If I disagree with you, I have the right to say the same thing in my way, but that's not what Twitter's allowing. That's not what Facebook's allowing. And I'm sure if we've had another social media, I'm sure Instagram would take you off or some, whatever. The point is you cannot get to the point where you say we're open, unbiased, and just a free flow of information when you're not. And I'm tired of hearing about it. And I'm tired of it. I think Twitter is a joke. Personally, I think it's a joke. I think it's a bunch of celebrities trying to get continued publicity about themselves. It's everyday people saying things that nobody cares about. I don't care what you put on Twitter. I don't care what you put on Facebook. I don't think that is any value either. When somebody says, I have 400 friends. No, you don't. You've got four. That's what I'm hearing because you're just sitting there on Facebook putting your stuff out. Now, is it a marketing opportunity? Certainly, but it is not, this is not friendship. This is not, we're close. We're this, we're that it's we've, we've given too much importance to these platforms, but that's the key though, isn't it? That's the problem. We've given them, we've given them importance. They don't deserve. But when you say the key point though, is that when you say you don't care about Twitter, other people do. There's there's people in positions of power, unfortunately, at sort of the heights of our culture. That's all they care about. In fact, they think that Twitter, which in my view represents probably 5% of the country and most of the people that are on there are the most radical, most extremist, most toxic kind of activists. That's what they do. But unfortunately... That's what people at the New York Times think should guide policy. That's what they think is reflective of all of America and what they should want in terms of 
any pick any issue du jour. That's what the people that run ESPN and run all the other big corporations somehow look to as if that's authoritative and should be followed. So you're right. I mean, 95% of the country couldn't give a rip what's going on on Twitter, but unfortunately it is driving and it's what drives the Democratic Party. Yes. The Demo- if you want to know what the Democratic Party platform is, just go and read through a bunch of Twitter feeds of any blue checks on there, whether they're from Hollywood, from big tech, from the media, and you'll know. And it is a radical agenda. That's yeah. what it is. And that's what Joe Biden and Kamala Harris stand for. Well, and that, that's what they want, and that's what their people want. And if you're on Twitter, great. More power to you. You know when I check Twitter? I want to know if my uh, internet service is down, if uh, they've given an update from the company. That's that's what I go on the Twitter for. I don't I don't get onto Twitter on a regular basis. I publish this show and let people know it's on Twitter from Twitter, but that doesn't mean you have to use that to find it. I I just get tired of the double standard of we're going to ask certain questions of Joe Joe Biden that you know. <sighs> Anybody could answer. I could answer Joe Biden's questions, not know anything about what was the other interview he just did a couple days ago. Joe, tell us what's your favorite flavor of ice cream. Well, well the fact that Donald Trump took a camera <laughs> to his interview with Leslie Stahl because he knew she was going to try to misquote him or cut the pieces to make it look like he said something he didn't. And then when he released it, you know, they, well, we can't use this interview now because it's been tainted. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean because he gave the, the raw unedited video. Now, suddenly, we can't use it because sure. we can look bad. That's right. We can't do the bad thing we were going to do. See, I here's my, well, we've said this before, with Donald Trump. Stop talking to the press, you idiot. Because every time you talk to them, they twist what you say to make you sound worse than you actually are. In every instance. Well, when you say stop talking to the press, in what kind of setting? I mean, he's the president. Don't he can't avoid. He can't avoid talking to the press. Don't talk to Bob Woodward. Don't give Bob Woodward any access to you. Why would? What do you expect? He's already written a hit book on you, and you give him another eighteen hours of time. What are you thinking? Why? I Let's think. Go. I think you're, on your you're correct. You're correct that that is an unforced error. I think that Trump's ego is such that he still believes that he can somehow control that environment. But again, to your point, I would add to that. If the next presidential election, if I'm the Republican Party, I would say, listen, uh, the Presidential Debate Commission, hopelessly partisan. We're not doing this anymore. Guess what? We are taking the kick me sign off of our back. And the only way that we're participating in any of these debates is you guys get to pick whoever you want to ask us questions. Okay. So go ahead, go pick. uh, You can have Sean Penn show up. You can have AOC, you know, people handing her cue cards, whatever. Don't care. Pick Paul Krugman, whatever, to your heart's content. And we will pick the people that are going to ask questions of your candidate. And that's the only way it's going to go. And if we're just going to go ahead and continue to pick the apparatchiks from the mainstream media, we're not playing. Well, you know what? We'll just do our own town hall. And guess what? Here's the irony. If they had somebody like Hugh Hewitt, or they would actually ask hard questions. See, they would ask Donald Trump things about Hmm, how do you justify your tariffs? You know, whatever. They would actually ask legitimate questions. They won't do it 
on the left because they're really not interested in obtaining information from these candidates. They're interested in destroying Donald Trump and propping up Joe Biden in any way they can, by any means necessary. So why do they continue to try to kick the football, Charlie Brown? I don't know. I, I agree with you. And I don't mean you can't talk to the press, but these personal interviews, they're not your friend. They're not going to be your friend. You can't, you can't control the narrative. You can only maybe not be as bad as they'd like you at times because you don't say the exact word they're looking for. Well, that's why I actually admire, what's her name? How do you, is it McEnany? I, oh, who's his current? McEnany, yeah. The, actually, I like her approach to these press conferences because what she's basically done, and you know what, um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders also did this, which is essentially, all right, we all know why we're here. You're not here to ask anything in good faith. You're here to basically find anything that you can throw at us that's a gotcha question, that is a false premise, and so we're going to treat it that way. And so, you know what, I may just completely ignore your question, and I'm going to spend two minutes explaining, it, like we're in a debate, all the reasons why that question is dishonest, why you're misstating the record. Why don't you go research these things? And so let's let's all stop pretending that you're here to information gather on the part of the American people. You're here on behalf of the Democratic Party to destroy the current Republican president. That's what you do. So let's stop pretending and we'll treat it that way. This is like a battle royale. I'll treat it like a, uh, you know, basically a, you can make your opening statement, then I'll make mine. That's what we're going to do. And, and that's probably... I just feel like there's this misconception out there that the press is somehow gathering information. And I don't think, again, in my lifetime, that's actually been the case. Well, I don't I, think they're fooling that many people anymore, Chad. I mean, do you see what their their popularity rating is on oh, any of these polls? They're actually at like, they're beneath Congress, I think. So I want to I want to point out a couple things that have been thrown around there about the presidency of Donald Trump and how it's a new low and everything. So constantly... And this is our friend. Trump has brought pornography into the White House. Okay. What does but, that even mean? Well, what does that mean? Because apparently there's a adult film star who was connected to Donald Trump. So therefore, pornography has been brought into the White House. I don't know. Did you remember Bill Clinton? No. And maybe you remember JFK? No. Johnson, uh, Orange G. Harding, uh, FDR. I mean, are, are we seriously sitting here saying, that the first time we had a philandering president was Donald Trump. Is, is that what I'm supposed to expect? Now, I don't agree with it. I think it's horrible. But to act as though Donald Trump was the first president to be a flawed human being is disingenuous and dishonest at best. Well, and the other thing is, even if they want to argue, well, no, he's not the first, but he's the worst. Well, explain to me how he's the worst. Isn't he the same? Actually, I don't think he is the worst. No, I mean, how many how many people was JFK shuttling in and out of the White House? I don't have a number, but I'm sure it was a lot. That's so again, and this is what I talk about. It. This re report it. This received wisdom. Where and again, you say, okay, so you know, Donald Trump is a horrible misogynist. All right, I mean, look, uh, certainly didn't hasn't treated his wives well. Not a good man in that regard. But what are you specifically talking about that makes him an outlier? Right, because that's the argument. It's not just. It's been on before. He's he's a new he's a new subterranean low, and and you get the same thing again. You get it's stormy, and you get Billy Bush. Right? It's like it's this feedback loop where they just keep okay. That's what you got. Okay, that's fine. I don't I don't think he's a man of good character as he's treated women. I don't think he actually views women as in many ways as co equals. I think that's probably a fair criticism. But again, 
particularly our friend who's the historian, you're pretending that this has not gone on before. Yeah, yeah. I don't like it, but it has happened. And, and it's not, see again, it's like, there you go again with your whataboutism. No, no, I'm perfectly content for you to criticize Donald Trump, but here's the problem. If you didn't criticize the other people and you didn't care, then I really don't want to listen to you because your outrage is entirely fake. It's yep. not credible because the only time that you seem to care about this is with the guy that you have political and you have animus for. And so if you're telling me that I should be really, really morally outraged about Donald Trump, I'm going to look to whether you were morally outraged about any of these other things. And if you weren't, I'm just not going to believe you. No, no. racism. Woodrow Wilson was a huge racist, huge, huge racist by all counts. I'm certain there were many other Woodrow Wilson segregated, resegregated the civil service. Yep. And we've had historians and the military. We've had historians, including I forget who it was that said this. Um, you know, they're making these lists, make saying American historians saying Donald Trump is clearly the most racist president we've ever had. Okay, you're you should be embarrassed. Yes. You've just invalidated you're supposedly an award-winning historian, and you can make that statement. And it's not just Woodrow Wilson, but Woodrow Wilson is so far worse. And again, they never even feel the need to back that up with any evidence other than Charlottesville. Charlottesville. Oh, yeah. and also because there's a lot of alt-right people that support him. And again, well, yeah. are we going to get into this game? Because let's go through the list of people that support Joe Biden from yeah. the left and Bernie Sanders. And we're going to have this guilt by association conversation. And we could go on for a long, long time about all the people that Joe Biden is supposedly responsible for. Yeah, I. it's just that Donald Trump is not the lowest of the low. He's not the outlier, as you say. There are others who are further outliers, and it's not a whataboutism. It's just keep it in context, all right? So if you don't want to vote for Donald Trump, don't vote for Donald Trump. But don't don't preen and say Joe Biden is a pillar and a paragon of virtue because that's not the case either. Just be, on, be honest with yourself and with others about why you – I want Joe Biden because I believe in socialism and climate change and – I, I want green energy because green energy is the future, even though it will never actually be what we use because you can't pull up to a windmill and, and charge your car. And it's economically disastrous yeah. and will Whatever. impoverish many people. And therefore, I'd like to have a conversation with you about why you think it's actually a moral policy because it's not. Now, all those things. Just be honest about why you choose one candidate over another. Don't be dishonest and throw shade at one while you're propping up what is, in my opinion, a failed uh, candidate with a failed vice presidential candidate. Uh, you could say lots of things about Donald Trump. I think you can say a lot less things about Mike Pence, but I can say a heck of a lot about uh, Biden and Harris uh, that they've already stated on the record. One of the so other things, one of the other things I wanted to make a quick point about is on this, this sort of comparison where you have people like our friend and others saying, you know, on the one hand, we're dealing with personal character. And on the other hand, we're dealing with abortion. Now, the interesting thing is, the interesting thing is that, for instance, our friend is constantly morally indignant, outraged by what he claims are, are Trump's policies. In particular, one of the things that he reiterates over and over is the children in cages, right? This came up at the debate. Now, the point I want to make about this not is, is not that, well, actually, as Trump pointed out, those cages were built by the Obama administration, but it's a different point, which is 
So they talk about those issues from a completely moral perspective, meaning it is, it's intolerable, right? Any Christian should be outraged by this. Okay, fair enough. Now switch over to the abortion debate. And what does our friend and others always say? Do they immediately address it in, in moral terms? No. What they automatically start talking about is, well, I'm opposed to it, but I don't think that Roe v. Wade or removing Roe v. Wade is the best way to go about it. And my reaction to that is, well, wait a minute. Why are we now talking about tactics? I want to weigh the competing moral atrocities here because that was the framework we just left. So let's balance millions and millions and millions of dead babies against children in cages. Now, one can say we shouldn't be separating children at the border and, of course, putting them in cages. Okay, that's fine. Where does that rank on your morality scale of outrage? Maybe pretty high. Where does killing millions and millions of babies rank? Because if I'm going to try to do that balance, I'm thinking the scale on the abortion side is way, way heavier. But they never, ever want to discuss that in moral terms. It's always this very anodyne, let's talk about tactics. And I don't, it's like, wait a minute. I just want to talk about you need to own up, right? Our friend is constantly saying, you need to recognize that you are responsible. If you, okay, okay, that's fine. Fair enough. You, my friend, are now complicit in voting for a party that wants no restrictions whatsoever, none, zero. It doesn't matter if the baby is crowning. It doesn't matter for what reason. In fact, they won't even support born alive infant protection acts, meaning they will allow a doctor to kill a baby that was attempted to be aborted, was born alive. They don't want any rule that says you don't have to provide any life-sustaining care. So what I would say to those people like my friend and others is if you want to talk about being pro-life, I don't want to hear about Roe v. Wade. I don't want to hear about judges. You are supporting a party that takes that moral position on babies. Mm -hmm. That is what you are supporting. So I would think that that's a fairly outrageous policy position. And to say, well, I'm personally against it. That's again, I've used this example before. That's like somebody saying, I am the president of the NRA, but I'm personally opposed to guns. <laughs> that really doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. And so I'm sick and tired of this bait and switch on this debate where we can be morally outraged all day long on the one side, but the minute we start talking about the democratic platform, it's always, well, let's talk about tactics. It's the playbook isn't the right playbook. Why did we stop talking about morality, Chad? It's oh. odd. It's very odd to me. Yeah. It, everything you said, I agree with. Uh, if, if just to tank the media tanking again, no foreign policy questions in the two debates. Well, because what could they possibly ask that would be bad for Trump? That's that, that's the point. You, you're talking about a president. Now, if we go back to 2008, they asked Sarah Palin foreign policy questions. It's 2020. They haven't asked Joe Biden a single foreign policy question because they know, as you said, there's nothing he could really say and there's nothing you could ding Trump on as far as that. Uh, that's That's amazing to me. Leader of the free world. Don't ask you any foreign policy questions because, you know, that's not really part of the job. Apparently. Oh, another lie. By the way, it just reminded me of another lie. 
Uh, they, they don't want to talk about foreign policy. They want to talk about COVID because they think that helps them, although I don't think it does. But the other lie among many, Joe Biden said, oh, I, I never I never claim that Donald Trump was a xenophobe for banning yeah. flights from China. Well, it, it takes two seconds to pull up the tweet where he said it's it's a xenophobic, he used another word as well. And so, again, this is the guy that says, if you'd only listened to me, um, nobody apparently nobody would have died. Yes. Even Trump though Joe Biden couldn't, 20, he can't articulate, he's the one that wanted the flights to continue coming here from China, didn't actually say that that was the correct policy until April 5th, mm -hmm. and yet somehow people like our friend literally say things like, we're now up to 220,000 people dead. Oh, by the way, we should emulate Andrew Cuomo's uh, <laughs> behavior. Like, yeah. wait a minute. New yeah. York, New York, per, I think New York has more COVID deaths than almost any other country. Yes. Well, if you see the news, it's always we've had this many positive cases. How many people died? Well, we don't talk about that anymore. We only talk about how many positive cases. We had 87,000 positive cases yesterday in the United States. How many died? can't find that information. It's hidden. I just want somebody to ask Joe Biden again, and this is they will never do it. So he's railing on Donald Trump, COVID, whatever. Uh, Vice President Biden, what can you give me one instance when Donald Trump has refused to take the advice of his experts? No. Well, Come on, man. I was fighting corn pop back in Delaware. It's it's absurd. Okay, Mr. Biden, can you give us an example of what you mean when you say that you know you would have implemented other policies that would have prevented? What are they? What are those other policies? Doesn't have any. Look, have man, any. it's all Russian disinformation. Okay. I need my wheat Tina right now. Yeah. It, it's, it's absurd. You or I, Chad, without any preparation could have sat there and moderated that debate and asked Joe Biden 30 questions that he has no answer to none. I, None of those yeah, questions anything. ever get asked. So I have this billboard on my way to work every day and it says vote Biden. It's by the County Women's Democratic Society. You know what the slogan is? Joe Biden wants to get wants to get people back to work. As opposed to Donald Trump, who apparently doesn't want to get people back to work. Only Joe Biden, his plan. His, oh, I'm sorry. It says Biden's plan. Get America back to work. Wow. That's really, you know, fleshed out. Could you give me a little more specifics around that? Because apparently I'm not following what you're doing. What is the plan? He has no plan. You can say Trump has no plan for certain things. What's Biden's plan? To get people back to work. Well, uh, part of that's going to be transitioning away from oil, which that was, uh, I'm sure all of his handlers were having uh, infarctions when he said that. No, you must not admit that you hate no. the demon oil. Um, no. So he's going to get all those millions of workers uh, back to work by you know coding or whatever. Yes, he's going to train them to code. Fracking people can be trained to code. So we beat that a little bit real quickly. Uh, Amy Coney Barrett went through the one sided committee. <laughs> Apparently no Democrats showed up to them, took their dolls and dishes and went home. They were not going to participate. So the adults in the room actually went through the process of going through the vote. The children in the room decided they would not show up for the vote and then tell us have a press conference telling us how bad the process was that you didn't show up for. Now, it still would have gone through even if you had shown up, but the point being, 
don't tell me you care about the process when you don't show up for the process. I don't I, care. You know what? Yeah. We know what they're about. We do. So she's going to be on the court, and then if they get control, you know they're going to they're going to try to pack the court. Go ahead. We'll see what the political ramifications of that little naked power grab are going to be. Um, yeah. They may find that getting their own caucus in line to do that is going to be a little harder than they think, assuming that they have the ability to even try it. Yeah. But that's fine. Stay home. We know what you're about. It, yeah. it doesn't matter to me at all. Well, Lisa Murkowski said today she would vote even though she thinks it's going too fast. She would vote in favor of Amy Coney Barrett, which thank you, Lisa, for... Uh, well, and even when she said that, she she is such just a fence straddling so her, her basically what she said is um i wouldn't i wouldn't vote to end debate okay which basically means if you don't vote to end debate that you're willing for th that you don't want to vote to take place right. i wouldn't vote to end debate but if others vote to end debate and we're <laughs> going to have a vote then i guess i'll vote for her uh, you know, what a, just what a pathetic waffler she is, but you know what? That's fine. Um, now it'll be interesting to see, I guess Collins is still right now the only no, right. I guess. And she's, and her whole calculus is she's desperately trying to hang on to her Senate seat. And frankly, um, first of all, I tend to give her, I'm not giving her a pass because I think it's an absurd position, but I understand her political reality in Maine. And number two, um, I also give her credit because I would never have expected her to have given the speech that she gave during the Kavanaugh hearings because she really was the person that she could have been the tipping point and she swung it ultimately in his favor. And that took a decent measure of political courage for her to stand up and do that. It shouldn't have taken courage. So no. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of willing to give Collins a pass and say, that's fine. We know what you're dealing with. We know your, your instincts are never to, you know, take tough positions and if there's one defection so what who cares yeah i think it's going to go through uh, what's the vote monday or Tuesday? yeah oh it's done it's a done deal i mean she's going to be on the court yeah so we'll see how that works out i i i expect her uh she'll be called on for things uh, sooner than she might think <laughs> like the following week <laughs> well certainly yeah maybe the following uh you know the following month as pennsylvania is still counting votes into uh you know well yeah. into december yeah, I just want to touch briefly on Big Ten football came back today, um, and apparently Penn State forgot to show up uh, and lost to Indiana. So for all the Penn State fans out there, I'm sorry. Uh, well, I'm not sure. I didn't see the game. Uh, by did. the way, Indiana Indiana is no laughing stock team. Well, it's funny because I I didn't see the whole game because I was doing other things, and I I saw some of the first half, then I saw some of the second half, then I saw fourth quarter in overtime up until the fourth quarter now understand indiana didn't score a touchdown from in the third quarter at all they just scored the the second touchdown of the game for them until the end of the fourth quarter i didn't see them complete a lot of passes except on that drive in the fourth quarter to tie the game i, I real I, I don't know I, I think indiana always gives penn state some trouble i think they match up weirdly most of the time there's always a team out there that always gives somebody else a, a, a challenge but i i don't know how penn state was ranked eighth let me say that i don't know how they were i don't know how you can rank anybody five or six games into the season and now you're just playing your first game how you're somehow ranked ahead of well people. that's that's always been my that's one of my beefs with college football is you shouldn't be ranking people 
Yeah. There should be no preseason rankings that, that matter until like week four. And then you have your first poll that comes out after we actually know what we're dealing with on the field. Because you're right. What it does is when you've got a team that turns out to, and I don't know, Penn State may still have a very good team. Um, but a lot of times what happens is you got these teams that turn out to be really good, but they started the season at, you know, 24. They've got to leapfrog so many other teams when if you had waited until week four and you see, oh my word, this team is actually deserving of a top 10 positioning. It, it's just, it's a very silly system where you have teams that have not played a game. You have no idea other than, okay, you, you got the Alabamas and the Clemsons of the world. You know that they're legit. Why? Why do you need to have rankings that count yeah. until you've actually played some meaningful football i i've never understood that well i, I think if you're going to have a bowl championship or whatever they're calling it now uh <clears throat> you don't need to do any any rankings until then honestly there doesn't need to be a like tennessee's horrible that, that's my one of my alma maters they're horrible uh they looked bad against georgia they looked bad against kentucky they looked really bad against alabama because they're not a good team sadly they're not a good team my other team, Michigan, currently beating up on Minnesota in Minnesota. And Minnesota's ranked. So I go back to the question of why are we ranking Penn State number eight against Indiana and Indiana wins? And it was overtime, but they still won. I will say this. Two bad things, two things happened in that game, and they were both uh, they were both in late in the game. Uh, the kickoff from the Indiana quarterback or kicker. He kind of squib kicked it with 21 seconds left to give it to Penn State. I don't understand that, and I don't think the coach understood that either. And the second one, gutsy move on Indiana's part, they went for two in the first overtime. They got the ball second yeah. and went for two, and it was, let's just say, there, there couldn't have been, you could have gone the other way on that call. That was a gutsy call because typically when you're at home, you go for the tie when you're on the road. You go for the win. He could have gone to another overtime and played it out, but he went for the win. And I yeah, because well, if you're playing a better team, you you got to take your shot. Uh, I mean, the longer the game goes, the less chance, in my view, you have of winning if you're the underdog. So you yeah. end that game there. That's what you do. But was that not a gutsy call on his part? I mean, I just I don't oh, think. And I think that 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 quarterback you know, nicked the pylon by about one millimeter. And I think his knee was about one millimeter off the ground. I mean, you can't come any closer to not scoring on that. I think um, if, if it had been ruled not a successful, I think the replay would not have overturned that either. That's right. In other words, there would have been no incontrovertible evidence either way. So the call on the field, whichever way it would have gone, that would have stood. Yeah. And I think that's, so I, I'm sorry for Penn State fans. I, I work with a lot of Penn State fans. I'm going to get to hear about it all next week about how they were robbed or something. But Well, and I didn't, again, didn't they have three turnovers, and did they have missed field goals in that game too? Two missed field goals, yeah. Yeah, so I looked at just the final stats because I didn't see much of the game other than the end game highlight. I think they out they their possession time was something like 40 to 15. Yeah, th three missed field goals, but the third one was a 57-yard attempt. Okay, so that's not realistic. He was the kickoff guy. He's not even a kicker normally. He's a kickoff guy. So Yeah, it sounds like that they should have won that game, but they let Indiana. Well, Indiana was winning, what, 17-7 to at halftime? Well, they were winning 20-14 with about four minutes left in the fourth quarter, or two, yeah. minutes, two and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter. So you can't, yeah. you can't turn the ball over 
three times and then miss three field goals, even if one was kind of ridiculous, and and expect to win against a team that's you know fairly decent. And the other point is, we talked about this ranking. How do we even know how good Indiana is? We don't. So in other words, if let's say in five weeks Indiana is sitting there at like five and one, or okay, well, so in other words, because right now Penn State's going to be greatly punished for losing to Indiana. Okay, sure. and they're going to drop, you know, to whatever, like. 18 in the polls or something. But what happens if Indiana is actually really good? That's my point is not only don't you know where the team stand coming in, you don't even know what that victory or loss means until either of these teams play some more games. Same by same token, Michigan and Minnesota, maybe that win for Michigan today is really, really impressive because Minnesota really is the number 16 team in the country, or maybe Minnesota really isn't that good at all. And they're going to yeah. go one and four over their next couple of games. And now you're looking at that and saying, well, what big deal. Like, who cares if Michigan won that game? I think the schedule is not going to help them if that's the case. I, I, I again, I feel for my Penn State brethren uh, because they play Ohio State next week. And I think they're a very good chance of being 0 and 2 two weeks in. Uh, yeah, probably. Ohio State is their sort of nemesis. They've had some heartbreaking losses to them in the last three years that were very close. Before we go, I have to get one NFL question to you. What sure. does AB do to the Buccaneers? Good or bad? And the I reason, and if you don't know, Chad's a huge Steelers fan. You know, Antonio Brown started his, um, I, I guess, like his his kamikaze mission to get himself out of the NFL. Started with the Steelers, then went to the Raiders, then went to the Patriots. We had various complete sort of uh, DSM level mental health problem. We had spray painting the helmet. We had lawsuits with, so what is your take? Cause on the field, the guy is a hall of fame talent, but he Mm -hmm. clearly is a head case. How -hmm. does that work out in Tampa Bay? So I think he has a decent amount of respect for Tom Brady and Tom Brady by all reports lobbied to get him into Tampa. Um, My concern from a team chemistry standpoint, and Bruce Arians is the coach and Bruce Arians made some comments. Uh, last year or year before about, about AB's behavior. So I'm not sure how that's going to work, but you know, Bruce is going to ride the horse that brought him. They've got a lot of talent there. My concern is AB doesn't get the ball often enough that he starts complaining because he's not getting it on. Cause there's a lot of weapons there where he may not see the ball as often as he would like. He would like to see 10, 12 catches a game. I don't think he's going to get that kind of production. And if he does, is Brady going to force it in? Because uh, honestly, Brady hasn't looked like a world beater so far this season. Well, he's, been, he's been solid. He's been solid, but he's looked a little, he's shown, I think he's shown his age. I don't, I mean, he's 43. So it's, yeah, it's it, about it, time for him to be showing his age, but I don't think he's, uh, he's making the same passes that he would have made even last year or the year before as easily. Now, some of that is familiarity with the receivers, the playbook, everybody around him. You, you spend 20 years in one place. You have a chance to maybe get some routines developed. I think AB, if he can keep his ego in check, and that's a big if, I think they're the hands-on NFC favorite to get to the Super Bowl. I think on the talent levels. I but, think that guy is radioactive. I agree. Um, I think he's right now, he walks into the Hall of Fame on the first ballot based on what he's already done in the league, but he has some very significant issues upstairs this goes beyond being like a diva yeah you know if you've read about the stuff that was going on with him and i look it may work for a little bit but i think it's always the temptation you look on paper and say oh my word 
we're literally bringing in potentially the best receiver in the NFL, adding him to that already very talented receiving core. What could, but I'm telling you, historically, you look at what these guys do and this isn't, this isn't just his second strike. He's on like strike number seven. Okay. (laughs) I mean, he, he burned bridges with, okay. Certainly when you talk about the Patriots and the Steelers, two of the most stable, well-managed, well-coached organizations in the league. And then you throw in the Raiders and Mike Mayock is a pretty good guy. Who's their GM. You can't make it work with those three teams. I'm sorry. Like sooner or later, this is going to implode. Well, I think we talked about this in the past. Mike Tomlin is a player's coach and he does, he lets stars get away with certain things. And he let AB drag things out. Um, Gruden, probably similar vein in that respect. Belichick, not. And Belichick couldn't make it work. Now, there was stuff hanging out there, and they didn't know if they were going to have him. They wanted to keep him on the roster if he was going to be suspended anyway. Uh, I do not think that Bruce Arians is Belichick. You know, we talk about with Randy Moss and Belichick. Belichick kept Randy Moss in place, and I think that's important. I don't think Arians can keep him happy or in check. So I think that it's certainly going to be an issue. That's my personal feeling. I think there's going to be, there's going to be early good returns. And then I think, uh, the death spiral will begin once again. Well, if they don't, if they don't win a game that he thinks he should have gotten the ball, he's going to throw a fit. He'll say the right things. And then five minutes later, he'll throw a fit because he didn't get the ball. I mean, maybe the only thing that penetrates if he's still capable of thinking coherently is this is literally your last last chance. Yeah. You're you will not play another snap in the NFL if this doesn't work. You're done. I mean, he's lucky, he's lucky he's back now because I think 90% of the teams have said we're not doing the AB experiment. There was probably, you know, I know Seattle was potentially looking at him and again, I know it's a cynical league. Talent always wins, but you can only have so many flame outs. And this is it. This is it for him. If he wants to play football, he's either make, he either makes it work here or he he's done. He's, he will never play another down in the NFL. If he has, if he has another flame out in Tampa, that's it. I would agree. I think that's this is his last best shot. He might get through the season. He might not, but we will have to see. But thanks for bringing that up and rubbing my face in it. I appreciate the. Well, I don't know. I wasn't trying to rub your face in it. I mean, I actually look at your Steelers are unbeaten right now without him. They don't need him. Well, they're, they've got a tough uh, game tomorrow. We'll see how they do against the Titans. Uh, I think it should be a good game, and I'm hoping the Steelers win it. But And they may have found Antonio Brown number two in, uh, what's his name, Claypool? Yeah, but unfortunately, I think Claypool has, he's not a humble guy either. Well, I mean, he have a lot to be humble about at the moment, but. <clears throat> he, I, you don't need a more deep. You don't more divas on the team. If you if you want one team to pick you a wide receiver, you go to the Steelers and say, "Please make the choice for us," because they let's put it this way: they clearly know the guys that will fit in their system. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see what happens, but uh, I, I think Brown Brown's on a ninety uh, day probationary status. Let's put it that way. See what he see what he does with it. Uh, he's gonna we'll find out. Uh, week nine against the Saints. What what life looks like for him? I don't know. I don't know if he can join the team before then and practice. I don't think he can either. Um, he can't. You may be right, and I think it's still in the NFL's within the NFL's discretion to say how how long he has to still sit out. 
Well, he's got an eight game suspension. I knew that, but I don't know if he can. If he yeah, can but I think they could, they could, they don't have to let him back even after that, because there's still some of that unresolved stuff going on off field. Uh, so I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what they want to do. Okay. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, remember 10 days till the election. Uh, please. Uh, if, if you live in Chicago, vote early and vote often. Uh, if you live everywhere else, just vote. Uh, if you, if you're informed, if you're not informed, please don't show up at the polls. Cause we don't need you. Um, you haven't been there for the last 20 years. Don't come now. Agreed. <laughs> uh, Thanks for joining us. I'm Chad. I'm Tony. Good night. Thanks for listening. This has been a Hannah Tree production.